Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Um, What a thrill to be with you on this Monday morning, April the 17th. I know it may already be the middle of the day where you are, or you may be listening to this in the middle of the day later today. But either way, thank you so much for including me in your day. I know your time is precious, so we are going to handle it with great care. Um, Every single day that we talk, I'm going to ask you this question, where in the word are you today? Because of much greater concern than anything else you're going to do today is that you would draw near to God, because God's going to draw near to you. And so let me encourage you to be in the word of God today, be in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, seek in there to discover more of the character and the ways of God. Ask God to reveal himself to you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would come to know him more and more and more and more. Um, He couldn't love you any more than he already does, and he couldn't know you any more thoroughly um, than he already does. But you and I can both know God more thoroughly and in knowing him, love him. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Nahum, Chapter 1, verse 7, you may say to yourself, now there's a book of the Bible I don't think I've read, or not recently. Well, there you go. Let's uh, dive into Nahum this morning. Nahum says, the Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust him. That is a very brief verse. If you've not memorized a verse of scripture recently, maybe you could memorize Nahum 1-7. The Lord is good. A strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust him. I'm going to unpack it here this morning. The Lord is. The Lord is. You could just revel in that reality all day long. The Lord is. And the Lord is good. The Lord is good, Nahum says. The Lord is good. You know, there's another possibility out there. It could have been that the Lord is and he isn't good. So thanks be to God that the Lord is good. Nahum goes on to say the Lord is a strong refuge. Do you need a strong refuge today? When, not if, but when trouble comes. When trouble comes, the Lord is a strong refuge the Lord who is and is good. And the Lord is close to those who trust him. Friend, the Lord can be trusted. He is good. This is a fundamental truth of reality. God is good. Remind yourself of that today. God is good. God is, and God is good. In the face of whatever and whomever you face today, God is, and God is good. In the midst of it, in spite of it, over it, under it, beyond it, above it. Run to him today. 
Take refuge in the God who is and the God who is good. A strong refuge when trouble comes. Not if trouble comes, but when trouble comes. Trouble's coming, my friend. And God is close to those who trust him. So trust him. Take refuge in him and trust him. If you need a complimentary passage of scripture to read alongside Nahum 1-7 today, let me commend to you Psalm 34. Um, This is the psalm in which we are not only reminded to taste and see that the Lord is good, but this is the psalm in which we are reminded that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So get into the Word of God today. Let the Word of God get into you before you get out there into the world that God so loves because you are His ambassador. You are, you are a person who is shining with the light of the love of God in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. Not everyone around you today knows that the Lord is good. Not everyone knows that He is a strong refuge to whom they can run when trouble comes. And they're not drawing close to Him because they don't trust Him. So be the person who is a light to the reality of who God is today, that others might see that he is good, that others might see that he is for you a strong refuge and can be trusted when trouble comes, that they too might draw close to him. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We're going to talk about transformation and the transformed life in our ongoing uh, ongoing conversation with Dave Buring from Lion Share. So what is transformation? What's the process of transformation? And, and why should we allow God's transforming power to be a priority in our lives today? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dave Buring is back with us. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Carmen. How are you this morning? I I am. It is well with my soul, my friend. How about you? I'm good. We just got back from a weekend retreat with 14 leaders from around the country pouring in the ways of God. So it was a good weekend. Mm, mm, I celebrate that. That's wonderful. Um, On Saturday, Jim and I hosted a... Um, an after Easter egg hunt for every kid on our street. That's of what I described as egg hunting age. Wow. And well, what because, is egg hunting age? Well, well uh, come to find out egg hunting age on my street is four to nine. At least so everybody, four to 90. Everybody between four and nine showed up and everybody loved it. Like they thought this is a great idea because I went and, you know, after Easter and, Bought all of the, because uh, I've got a kid on my street who's got like celiacs and one who's like, you know, two that are gluten-free and one that's nut-free and one egg-free. So I'm like, you can't do candy. They can't ever go to a hunt where there's candy. None of yeah. them. So, yeah. right? So that's so sad. So at our egg hunt, all the eggs were empty. And because I bought everything, you know, after Easter, it was super cheap. So they got yeah. loaded up with like, you know, bubble wands and chalk and I don't know, all oh, kinds nice. of crazy, fun Easter things that aren't edible, right? Right. Sunglasses and, you know, yeah, super fun. Great we had a idea. great And And to top it off, I mean, just because it happens to be this time of year on the farm out here, we have eight little baby chicks. Uh, and so to top it all off, they got to play with the baby chicks. So I think that was the highlight. Of the I day. think that sounds like a great day. Wow. So I didn't I didn't do what you did this weekend, but I did that. So there you go. 
Well, Kate, I had a great time. Both trying to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the transformed life. What do we mean when we say that? Um, and then let's quickly revisit the process of transformation so we can dive deeply into the priority of transformation. Yeah. So what's the transformed the, life? Yeah, I think oftentimes we forget that when we give our lives to Jesus, it's just the beginning. You know, sometimes we respond to the Lord in our lives and then we kind of just we go to church and maybe we're in a small group and we just can kind of get in a cruise mode, forgetting that the priority of Jesus is to make us to look more like him. Our mm. looks, our personality, our gifts, all that stuff that's very unique and special about each of us. But through that, that we look more like Jesus. And I think that's one of the things that we often, you know, pause uh, and don't have the time to, you know, think about as much as we should. I, I like Carmen Dallas Willard's quote when he says, discipleship, which is this process of being transformed, is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Isn't that good? That's so good. That's so good. Um, if Jesus were me, mm, um, what would he look like? How would he engage people mm -hmm in the environment where, you know, I find myself day in and day out. This is actually, this transformation process is a priority for God. God's priority is forming us into the image of his son. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's one of the things that, again, oftentimes when we find ourselves coming to know Jesus, nobody tells us this. And, and because of that, we're not positioned to, if I could use the word, to yield to it and allow God to do that work in us. Romans chapter eight, verse 29 talks about God conforming us to the image of his son. Second uh, Corinthians three eighteen talks about how we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the spirit of the Lord. Romans reminds us that we're to be transformed by the renewal of our mind so that the way we think, the way we discern, the way we relate to people in the world around us is actually different from when we didn't know Jesus to when we know Jesus. And so I think it's one of the things that, you know, we get stuck in, Carmen, is we often find that, okay, now that I belong to Jesus, it's all about what he's trying to pour through me to touch the world through me. And I would submit that that is a secondary thing, that there, there's a priority here of Jesus doing first in us. So the overflow whether on our job, with our families and our relationships, it looks more like Jesus. All right, if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, mm, I, don't, I don't know how much I look like Jesus. I mean, I know about Philly Jesus, that guy in Philly that dresses up like Jesus. Yeah, that's not what we're <laughs> talking about. We're talking about being transformed from the inside out. So we're going to continue our conversation with Dave Buring in just a moment. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. You're looking for the Transformed Life series. And today we're talking about the priority of transformation. So next, we're going to answer this question, like, how is it that God is transforming us? Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, 
all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. You're my defender. Continuing our conversation with Dave Buring from LionShare, you can find the Transformed Life series at lionshare.org. Um, yes, for those of you asking for us to repeat the Dallas Willard quote, discipleship <laughs> is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Um, Dave, let's uh, let's talk about trans- being transformed from the inside out. This has to do with our heart. So, can you talk mm-hmm. about a little bit about what God has to say about what's going on in my heart? Yeah, the the there's a ton that the Bible says about the heart, and I don't think we often pay attention to it, but it it represents kind of that inner reality of who we are, where we are in our lives, where God wants to transform us. And when you look at the scriptures, you see a ton about this. It's not just an organ in our chest. It represents the core of who we really are. It's our deepest motivations. It's kind of that central command of decision-making and attitudes and thoughts and allegiances and affections. It's that. It represents who you really are. And I love some of these portions um, that talk about it to help us see it. For example, one of my favorites is Proverbs 27, 19. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. We also see in Jeremiah, the heart is desperately sick and is very deceitful. Who can know it? I love Jesus's words, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 6 tells us where your treasure is there your heart will be also. So your heart is the real you. You know, we can put on Mm. Instagram and Facebook and put on our face for the day what we want people to perceive about us. But what is in your heart is the real you. And that's an important thing for us to note. So I was going to do long division here. Um, If we did like two verses every single day and three verses on some days that uh, where scripture addresses what's going on in, in the heart or the matter of the heart. Um, we could spend a whole year just focused on this. So there's a lot of content, um, in scripture related to this. Um, what is it or maybe how let's talk about the, how, how does God change my heart? Cause that's what I need. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so the thing that we have to do is we have to pay attention to what he's revealing inside of our heart. And when we can see what God's revealing to us, then we can adjust to where he's leading us. But again, Mm. it's something that we have to learn to pay attention to. So for example, if you're in a group of relationships and just in the midst of all those relationships, there's a reality that you're recognizing that uh, when you're with this particular person, your heart gets kind of, shall we say, prickly, and mm. you realize that um, there's something maybe left over from an offense that was taken there, or that there's something that has happened that has caused there to not be peace in the friendship. 
And, you know, the reality is when we get into that kind of a place, it, it causes us to have revelation or God revealing to us where our heart really is. There's a phrase that I use for my own life, Carmen, that I often will help people if we, we talked about it as leaders this weekend, that your reactions are windows to your heart. So when mm. you react to something, it's actually exposing what's inside your heart. I'm writing this down. Your reactions are windows to your heart. Mm -hmm. um, Dave, there are some people, um, you know, when I, I spend time with them and I feel energized, encouraged, um, lighter. And then there's other people that I spend time with and I feel sad or burdened. It, But the the feelings is not really what we're talking about because that's kind of a terrible barometer of the truth. Talk about God's plumb line of the truth here because I don't want to avoid people who are who who make me sad, whose circumstances make me sad, because those might be the ministries, you know, the ministry opportunities into which God is calling me. So can you help me find a better plumb line of the truth than just my feelings? Yeah. And I think it's it's something that Again, we oftentimes haven't been taught or we just haven't been in a circle where these kinds of things have been looked at of taking a look at how God transforms us. But but when you drop a plumb line, which is a, like a measuring rod, it's a way that people would oftentimes uh, measure to make sure things were straight. Like if you're building a home, it's it's a string on a heavy weighted bob that then allows it from top to bottom to represent things being straight. And in Amos 7, the Lord said to Israel that he was setting a plumb line in the midst of his people. And the way I like to look at it is God's plumb line is made up of his character, who he is, his ways, how he does things and wants us to do things, as well as his values and truth from the scripture. So you have this plumb line dropped in your life where God shows you, okay, here's the truth, Dave, and here's where your heart is. And I want you to move from where your heart is to be more in alignment with my plumb line. And the beauty of that, Carmen, is he doesn't require me to do that. He does it. He's the one that does it, but he needs my cooperation. And my cooperation looks like following his lead, or we could use the word obeying what he's asking me to do. Those kinds of steps get us in line with God's plumb line. If I were to try to finish the sentence, God is, and then fill in that blank, you know, that's where I'm going to get a list of his qualities, his character, his ways, his values, um, and and I can make that list as I examine the truth of his word. So I want to mm -hmm. encourage you, if you're listening right now, get into the word of God. That's where you're going to discover God's character and his ways um, and his values and the truth of his word. And that'll give you the plumb line against which you can then test yourself. Like, great. So I can test my own heart against what is revealed about the heart of God. Um, Dave, I know we're, we're running out of time for this conversation. So let me just remind everybody, you can find these resources at lionshare.org. We're talking about the transformed life. And we're going to continue this conversation with Dave in the coming weeks. I'm wondering if there's some encouragement that you can give today in terms of how we respond, um, you know, when God does reveal something mm -hmm. in us that is out of alignment with his mm -hmm. character and his ways. 
Like, how do we, how do we then allow God to do that transforming work? Yeah. So there's a, the way that I have watched this over the years, it's, it's a bit of a process for me. So when God shows you something and then you be responsive to it, like, again, let's go back to our illustration. There's somebody I'm out of sorts with in a relationship and I go back and maybe I need to be the one that humbles myself and says, Hey, you know what? The last time we talked, I said some things, I spoke out of emotion and I didn't speak really what was in my heart. And I need to ask you to forgive me for that. And you go about making that thing right. Well, what I've watched is when God initiates something and we respond to him in obedience to what we're supposed to do, transformation comes. Like, don't be surprised that not only within you are you transformed when you take those steps to make things right, but the relationship is now on a trajectory to begin to be healed. Now, again, sometimes we've had really damaged relationships and that healing doesn't take place instantly. But the first steps of being responsive to the Lord, obeying what he shows us to do, can lead towards God transforming us, not only inside of us, but in our relationships and through us. Um, I have a friend whose name is Susan, who the Lord brought to mind as I was preparing for our conversation. And I remember her asking me, it's probably been almost a year ago now. She said, I mean, I really feel like God's doing a lot of work in my life. And I'd, I'd like for you to tell me when we see each other, do you see evidence that I look more like Jesus? And mm. I'm like, this conversation has reminded me of that. And I need to circle back around to her and, and say, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't answered the question that you asked, but that is a great question for mm. one Christian to ask of another Christian. Do you see evidence that I look more like Jesus? Mm -hmm. um, what a precious, what a precious way of inviting our brothers and sisters into the conversation about um, the transformed life that we are inviting God to um, to make of us. So, Dave, as always, thank you so much. We love talking with you. You guys can uh, grab the Transformed Life series at lionshare.org. If you want me just to shoot you the link, you know you can always text me, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, a couple of uh, quick headlines here um, this morning as we seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear on what's going on out there in the world. want to um, celebrate Florida's new heartbeat bill. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed uh, legislation into state law banning abortions in the state of Florida once a baby has a detectable heartbeat. You're going to hear this um reported as six weeks, like, right, um, abortions in Florida restricted after six weeks of um, of the beginning of a pregnancy. B but you might better understand this as a heartbeat bill. Um, it's called the Heartbeat Protection Act. And once there's a discernible heartbeat, it's illegal in Florida to take the life of that human being. Um, there are some exceptions, um, and those are um, understandable, right? The bill provides exceptions if the mother is a victim of rape, incest, or human trafficking. Um, and so we uh, we want to contrast Florida's new, very pro-life legislation with um, 
with the state of the law in, well, Minnesota, New York, California, Washington, Idaho, Michigan, Rhode Island, Wyoming, Connecticut, Illinois, Maryland, Delaware, Arizona, Hawaii. Uh, The limits in those states are um, set at, quote, viability. But they also make exceptions that allow for the termination of the life of the unborn child up to the point of birth. Colorado, New Mexico, Oregon, New Jersey, D.C., and Vermont officially set no limit. In fact, they are officially no limit states on abortion. And so they don't even talk about viability. Um, There is no question in those states that um, a woman has the right to terminate the life of her unborn child just short of being born. And so we want to be praying for a change of law in states where there is no limit on abortion, and we want to be celebrating those states that are doing all that they can under current federal law to protect life, to protect life. And we want to be pro-life for all of life, so we want to support women who do have children who they don't have necessarily the capability to raise on their own. Who does, right? So let's be coming alongside um, moms who are having babies that they didn't plan for, and let's be um, seeking to be very, very supportive of families um, with uh, with babies and young children right now. Let's be really genuinely pro-life, um, not just for the pre-born, but for everybody. Um, and then this news out of Washington State. Washington State's passed a bill, this is very disturbing, allowing children to legally be taken away from their parents um, if their parents do not consent to gender transition procedures um, on the child. So it's Senate Bill 5599, and it's in Washington state. Parents can be bypassed if a child seeks um, gender-affirming care or reproductive health care, including abortion, and they present at a shelter or any other agency with reporting requirements to the Department of Child, Youth, and Family Services. So minors seeking reproductive health services, also abortion, or, quote, gender-affirming care, um, will be cared for without the knowledge or consent of their parents and removed from um, the custody of their parents if they say they fear that their parent would not affirm their desire. So it's a dramatic... um, law in terms of parental rights passed in the state of Washington. So let's be um, let's be praying for children and families uh, in the state of things here in the United States of America. Adam Carrington is going to join us next. Um, we're going to talk about grief. We're going to talk about, um, yeah, we're going to talk about grief. We're going to start with that. Um, who are you grieving with and for these days? Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood, maybe it's somebody in your church, maybe it's somebody in your place of work. I'm just going to talk about grieving well with our neighbors and colleagues and friends. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Oh, I am I am well. It is well with my soul. I know you are uh, grieving with a colleague and a friend over the loss of um, a child. And I thought no more appropriate place for us to start today than just to have an honest conversation about that um, and talk a little bit about the importance of 
genuine Christian community when people that we know um, are are suffering and are in seasons of great grief. Right, right. And yeah, we, we've had a tragedy here, a very unexpected one, and, and it is something that's happened to a dear friend and colleague. And no one should have to bury their child. I know that's something that's 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 said, but it, it bears repeating whenever something like this happens. And that it is a, a terrible reminder that the world is not what it's supposed to be. And that there are crushing ways that the world has been distorted by by sin and by the curse of sin. And um, so we're going through that here, and no one really knows how to, I think, entirely um, be there for someone in a tragedy like this. Uh, I, I don't I don't know if you can go ever go through it enough times because every person has a particular way of of grieving a particular set of needs. And so I, I know some of the things we're trying to deal with here as we come alongside my colleague and, and his family and, and the terrible tragedy is uh, figuring out how, how to, how, how to find out what their needs are and where does the gospel touch their life in the midst of this. And uh, I, I've certainly thought of, where Paul talks in, in, in Romans 12 about weeping with those who weep, even as you rejoice with those who rejoice. So letting it be known that, that, um, that while their grief is particularly their own, um, they don't have to suffer it alone, that there are others who we want to come alongside as best we can. Uh, we want to affirm the life of the child that was lost we want to affirm their grief in doing so. Uh, and something that I've been particularly struck by is a, uh, a passage from Isaiah 42, where um, uh, later Matthew's gospel says this apply, that this is fulfilled by Christ, where it says, um, uh, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintingly burning wick he will not quench. And the idea that when you suffer a loss like this, you really might feel like God is going to snuff you out <laughs> uh, 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 emotionally, spiritually, uh, that uh, y that you feel broken and that he will uh, and that he is breaking you. And I think this is the encouragement that no, um, uh, God is is is. Uh, is a God that is uh, uh, near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And so I think that um, one thing that we're learning in, in, in applying that and trying to be that and, and God working through us with that is knowing uh, when to say something and when to just be quiet and listen. I think that's really mm -hmm. hard. Um, sometimes uh, saying nothing is better. And then sometimes they really, you know, someone grieving really wants you to say something. Um, and then uh, providing for physical needs. I think one thing we're, we're, we're seeing is there are so many logistical things that have to be dealt with in a tragedy. And it can be so jarring and even cruel for a family trying to grieve to then have to put on you know, bureaucratic brain or paperwork brain or even uh, making meal brain, you know, to eat 
Um, so trying to provide for physical needs, trying to relieve um, other duties, and and to really say that God has not saved us just directly to himself. God has saved us into a community. We are part of Christ's bride, the church, and that community is meant to love and serve each other. And so, again, I, I'm not claiming as I'm speaking in this that I have special expert knowledge on this, um, but we are going through that right now and and really trying to, to, to figure out what it means to, to minister to someone who is going through this kind of tragedy and, and to make sure that they know that they're in community with this, uh, that they are not alone, because I know this can seem so terribly alone um, uh, from just some, we've had one or two other experiences like this in my time here here, here uh, in, in this community. So uh, yeah, definitely be praying for us, uh, for, for, for uh, one of my, my colleague who lost his son and, and be praying for us who are trying to, to minister to him and to his family. <clears throat> um, we had this conversation yesterday as we were driving to worship. And obviously in the community where I live, there are lots of um, signs of support for the families whose family members were um, were killed at the Covenant School, which is a part of the Covenant Church here in, in Nashville. And so like even at my local elementary school, you know, it says our hearts and prayers are, are with Covenant School. And then, you know, at the next church, their sign is dedicated, you know, to, you know, our hearts and prayers are, are with the Covenant family. Um, there are ribbons and um, uh, and other things on lampposts and mailboxes. And, you know, those were put out at, a, you know, in, in all of a particular color. And the conversation in our car was, okay, so... When, when, like, when is it okay for that that elementary school and then that church to change their sign? It's not as if our hearts are not going to still be with that community and those people who are grieving. But there, there is also this sense that in a community, your attention does necessarily turn from that to other things. And particularly when you're talking about kids, you want to help them turn um, you know, from grief to living in the midst of grief and um, and continuing to live. And so I just I just really appreciated um, the fairly public way that you guys at Hillsdale are um, grieving with this particular family and for the way you've even described, like, you know, these are the people who are now going to be teaching these classes because this person can't be teaching these classes while he's Shepherding not only not only walking this valley of the shadow of death for him with himself, but shepherding the hearts of his wife and his other kids in relationship to this very dramatic loss. And so, I just I wanted to say thank you, and I wanted to have this conversation with you because you're walking this as a colleague, and I think that um, it's helpful for us to talk about how we're walking with people in grief um, when tragedy comes. So, thank you so much um, for your willingness to talk about that. Oh, absolutely. And one thing we've learned, because there was a situation like this a few years ago, uh, not quite the same circumstances, but but same uh, basic, that just realizing that there are going to be ups and downs, that grief is not a a trajectory that is, you know, just a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. <clears throat> it it really is um, a, very, a lot of ups and downs. Um and and so therefore being there for the person in that 
remembering, for example, that things might be better and then the next holiday could be particularly a, a bad time of remembering the, the person not being there. And so, no, thank you. And we, we appreciate all prayers because uh, there's no way that we can assuage this grief. There's no way that we can step into it uh, apart from the work of God and apart from you know, we're in the shadow of Easter, uh, uh, really, I should say, in the sunlight of Easter, <laughs> and 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 the idea that the suffering uh, Christ is also the risen Christ, and it's he that will, uh, is the resurrection and the life, and that ultimately, um, as, we, as we grieve with this family and need to not belittle what they have lost, who they have lost, to also encourage them that in Christ, that loss is a separation that is temporary, not a uh, destruction that is eternal, that, that we really do have life in Christ, and that that can be a, a, a source of comfort and hope going into the future. We're talking with Dr. Adam Carrington. We're going to pivot here um, in our conversation in just a moment, and we're going to talk about our rights here in the United States of America. In particular, we're going to talk about the 14th Amendment, and I know that may be racking your brain right now. What is that 14th Amendment? Well, we're going to talk about due process and equal protection. So what, what, what does it mean to have equal protection under the law um, how much is uh, is privacy a part of all of that? We're going to continue this conversation. This is, um, you know, in a contemporary way, a conversation about access to a pill that induces abortion. Um, but it's a bigger conversation than that. And Adam's going to help us see that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. It's that time again. This is Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen. I see evidence of spring peeking through and bursting forth. And as I look ahead to the Faith Radio spring calendar, I see the spring fundraiser on the horizon. So in preparation, would you please do three things? Number one, pray. Number two, consider offering up matching funds to encourage and stimulate others to give. And number three, did I mention pray? Hey, it's worth repeating, right? And to offer up a matching gift, just email Carter, Carter at MyFaithRadio.com. Now I'm just a beggar in the presence of a king. I wish I could bring so much more. All right, Adam Carrington is going to help us understand how we got where we are in the conversation in the United States of America about um, abortion and particularly access to an abortion pill. All right, so take us back in history so that we can understand how we got where we are today. Right, so um, uh, the the grounding for abortion, the abortion right prior to Dobbs last summer overturning it, was essentially in the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which was ratified in 1868, and we just had the anniversary last Friday of the very the 150th anniversary of the very first ever Supreme Court opinion interpreting it. And I'll say that I, I think that first opinion, it's called the Slaughterhouse Cases, had nothing to do with abortion, by the way, was uh, wrongly decided. And it set up uh, some ways in which the 14th Amendment, I think, has been misinterpreted ever since. But to sort of skip ahead, how does the 14th Amendment, which was originally passed to um, 
help the uh, freed slaves after the Civil War be protected against any state violations of their fundamental rights. So you have the Privileges or Immunities Clause that says states can't take away the rights of U.S. citizens. Uh, the Due Process Clause, which might be familiar to more because it's been more active in, in the 20 and 21st century. It says you can't take away someone's life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And then the third is the Equal Protection Clause, which says you have to give equal protection of the laws to all people within your uh, under your legal sphere. And so this was, again, meant to protect uh, African-Americans predominantly, but it applies to all people after the Civil War. How does this get to uh, abortion? Well, I, you know, I, I think that it gets sort of distorted to then say that the meaning of liberty in the Due Process Clause that is uh, it includes a kind of... Uh, autonomy by uh, a woman that allows them to terminate a pregnancy and therefore denies the other right, the right to life that is equally protected uh, within the Constitution. And so what you see is a text that was begun with, I think, a very good and noble and needed purpose, protecting uh, people whose rights were being violated, and then has moved in the 20 and 21st century into kind of a right to privacy and then a right to a liberty that is is very divorced from the original context and doesn't itself understand that any right to liberty is is goes no further than uh, acting in a way that doesn't violate the rights of others and that abortion in particular, whether it's through a pill or whether it's through uh, a procedure or something else, is, is not accounting for that right to life and is instead defining liberty in a way that I think the original meaning of that text never had in mind, since if you look back at the laws of the time, abortion was almost universally uh, banned as something that um, it, it was beyond the pale of the intent of, of, of the text. So it's interesting to watch how texts are supposed to restrain and protect that sometimes they can be manipulated in ways that uh, go against the very purposes for which they were passed. All right, we only have a couple of minutes um, to talk about this, but you have an excellent opinion piece um, posted at Madison.com on judicial elections and how how electing judges actually undermines our courts. Can you summarize that for us, Adam? Sure. So, And by the way, I was building this off the articles in defense of the Constitution because the Constitution makes it so that national judges, federal judges, are never elected. They're appointed by the president after being confirmed by the Senate, although we do have elected judges at the state level. And my argument there was that um, we want to affirm that the people rule. But how do the people rule? They rule through their laws. And why is that a good thing? Because laws take time to be passed. They take reflection. They take um, uh, refinement in a way that a snap judgment by the people in reaction to an event might be less thoughtful or more built on anger and not reason. And so I, the argument is that the legislative and to some degree the executive branch is supposed to reflect the immediate will of the people in passing laws. They take the people's will by being elected by them, and they put those laws in, into motion. Um, but 
what's the judiciary's role? And and the judiciary's role is to merely interpret and apply the laws as written. And I think what that does is that protects um, minority views. It protects people who may be unpopular. It protects people with the process of law that everyone should deserve to have to be innocent until proven guilty to have the laws applied to them no matter how unpopular they are. And I think that if judges are up for re-election as they're deciding important cases, uh, the public pressure to skirt the law or fudge the law is, 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 might be too great and might undermine how well they fairly apply the law. So it's not, by the way, just to reinforce again, that the people shouldn't rule is that they rule in their most moderate, <clears throat> thoughtful, reasonable way. And that's by judges hold their own standard, the standard that they passed in the law. And so that's where, by the way, states are absolutely allowed to have judicial elections if they think that's what's best. My argument was that it's not best and that they should freely choose to go with something more like how the U.S. Constitution chooses its judges. Yeah, I'm going to um, send people the links, anybody that wants you know, links to the articles that we're talking about today, or they'll be in my social media as well. Um, Adam, thank you. Um, excellent work of late um, on both of these fronts. So we appreciate all that you're doing. Um, thank, thankful for your carving out time to be with us here on Mornings with Carmen. No, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, lots of you um, asking follow-up questions about my uh, comment about the reasonableness of exceptions in the Florida law related to rape, incest, and human trafficking. Let me just quickly say here, in a nation of laws, which we are, um, I don't see uh, a way around exceptions for pregnancies that are the result of the committal of other illegal acts. And so the eagle, the, the illegal act that um, is the underlying event in a nation of laws is going to result in laws that protect the victim, the first victim being the mother, um, from having to carry those pregnancies to term. And in a nation of laws, I don't, I don't see a reasonable way around that. Um, we're, we're not a nation governed by the Bible. We're a nation governed by... Um, by, by laws and by um, mutually agreed upon laws. So that's that's my answer to that question. I know it's complex and the underlying principle is really important. So thank you for asking the question. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.